Are we live? I think we're live. We are indeed, yes. We're recording. Excellent. Wow. Welcome to SenseSpace, Charlie. It's really good to have you on. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I've been wanting to have this conversation with you. So I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm looking forward to, to jumping in. Hmm. Yeah, so we we met at the Rebel Wisdom Men's Retreat about yes. just almost a year ago. Uh, I think it was in May. Yeah, no, I think it was September, actually. Oh, yeah, I'm completely off. It was like September, October. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess that's the quarantine time warp. Um, <laughs> it's blended into one, yeah. <laughs> um, so we had some great chats there and i think some of the stuff that we kind of focused on uh at that weekend will probably be relevant but since then um i've been watching what you're doing and it with the connection studio and it seems like you're kind of working on something which feels very important um to me right now in the context of of you know how, however many weeks we are into quarantine so yeah. perhaps um, before we get going, just you know a little bit more about what it is you do and what you're focused on. Yeah, so um, I'll try and make it like like a brief. I guess um, obviously I work as a psychotherapist now, uh, and, and the company that I kind of work for is called Connection Studio. So I think if I start from kind of what sort of led me towards therapy. Um, mm. And, and I, I guess psych, psychology, because it frames what we're actually doing at Connection Studio, is <clears throat> very much from people very close to me sort of struggling with their own mental health um, issues, which, which kind of made me interested in it from a very young age because I was curious about what was happening to them, um, why they were kind of experiencing the world this way. And obviously the, the, the kind of avenue that they went down was the medical route. Um, which is very much prescription based, you know, you, they consider mental health as a disease model. Yeah. Um, so there's a prescription and then that's kind of like you're a lifer, which is what I call it is, is like, you've got this problem. There's nothing we can do. We can only medicate it. That never really sat very well with me. Um, and kind of as I got older and I started to study psychology and actually see the detriment of the medication. Um, I became like, very deeply interested in, one, what was happening, so the kind of science behind different mental illnesses, and then two, you know, what was the natural way to approach this? Um, and, and that was kind of catalyzed by my own sort of mental health crisis, mm. um, in which because of the environment I'd been in, I'd ref I wouldn't go and see like a doctor. Um, I was very interested in kind of the natural way of healing. So I ended up studying psychology, um, studying to become a therapist uh, and the modalities that we use are grounded in science grounded in neuroscience but but access you know humans natural ability mm. to to heal themselves which I'm a very very strong believer in through witnessing people sort, sort of naturally heal from mental illness as, as well as physical illness um, so I entered that space that was my intention um, ended up going to an event called Drop the Disorder, which is a way of challenging uh, the diagnostic model. 
met a psychologist there who was starting her own business who offered me a job um, and now we're kind of like work together uh, and our clinic so our clinical practice um, is based on you know we work with people with very complex problems people who experience severe pain from emotional suppression we mm. get people who have been diagnosed with labels been told that they'll never we obviously work with them and, and take this natural what you might call holistic approach um, and you know for me it, it's an incredibly powerful way of healing um, and it works so I don't know if that helps I, don't, I know there's lots of routes we could have gone down with that with what I've explained there but that's kind of a frame of, of the position that I'm in now yeah it feels like your kind of um, holistic approach to this is really kind of uh it's like a holistic self-development almost like what the things that you're focusing on are not just for people who are struggling with mental illness. They're really kind of, um, kind of a suite of practices and modalities that basically everyone would benefit from and kind of have this capacity to, to build you up and, um, you know, allow you to flourish in all of these different, um, dimensions of being human yeah 100% and um, you know we work with with businesses and you know for, for me like I don't like to make this distinction between I think our concept of mental illness and mental health problems sees it as like them and us you know we're the well ones they're the ones who are struggling and what I say is you know given your upbringing or you know an incident that could happen we could very easily tip into that place so what i'm very fascinated by is as you're kind of saying what are the tools and, and psychological tools that we can use that that do help us um cope with life but also as you say thrive and flourish um which is a lecture that i'm doing tonight actually on the science of flourishing mm. um and, 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 and I think that's, I think like you say now more than ever, um, having these practices and, and these tools are so important because we're going through a collective crisis right now. Mm. Um, so yeah. how, how is the, how is the crisis kind of landing for you, um, in the past couple of weeks? Yes. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, I'm very conscious of the people who are struggling with it. Um, I don't know if you've seen, I put on my Instagram, you know, and this is my personal opinion and I always want to acknowledge like the, the pain that's happening and that this is frightening for people. But like, I'm, I'm in no way surprised by this. Um, yeah. You know, if, it, if this didn't happen, it was going to be something else. Uh, I, I feel like we've all got this sense of like change happening and, maybe disenchantment with the current system. Um, so the way that it's sort of landed for me is we very much needed like a slowing down collectively. And, and you know, I'm very fortunate and I know that we are, we're very fortunate to be in this position, but I'm trying to use this time um, to, to help the people that I can, but to also sort of deepen the practices that I had been doing. And you said something very interesting to me which I'm interested to know is that you said you feel like you've been preparing for this. Mm. 
you know, so you, you felt ready and it, that very much resonated with me in, in, in the sense of because of the groups that we've attended and the things that we've been listening to, this hasn't felt as much of a shock to me. So I'm interested to hear you talk a little bit more about how you feel you've been preparing for it. Yeah, I guess me and you, I mean, I've been watching the material you're putting out on Instagram and other places and we are both following a number of kind of um, thinkers and practitioners who were talking about systemic fragility um, for several years now. So if you are one of the small number of people who kind of dropped into that um, podcast community discourse, uh, then you kind of had a sense that this was coming um, in some way or another. And, and so you kind of oriented yourself um, in that regard. I mean, I remember sort of a long, like several years back when I was first kind of going on a intellectual journey, I started um, kind of going through all of Jordan Peterson's um, biblical lecture series, which is quite um, a meaty, uh, heavy. He's going through like psychology and um, myth and scripture and all of this stuff. But he used to talk about... Um, kind of prepare for the flood um and that was kind of a deeply rooted like mythical um cultural narrative that we had um which was something is going to come down the line and you should orient yourself and um set up your life and cultivate your relationships in such a way that when it happens you are the one who is um prepared one who has built an arc, um, so to speak. Um, and that metaphor of the arc could mean it could be like the suite of kind of practices that you've built into your life, I guess. Um, or the arc might be the communities that have been built based on the um, authentic relation and connection that those practices seem to feed into. Mm -hmm. Um so, and just on top of that, I've, I guess um, the circumstance of my life is I've just kind of been thrown out into the unknown to a certain extent, like six months before this hit. And I've been moving around between family and kind of like reorienting, um, coming into a position of letting go of like having this fixed goals that I'm constantly pushing forwards towards. And like mm -hmm. just sitting with being comfortable, not knowing what's coming next. Um, and so in order to just do that, in order to meet the kind of challenge of that, you do have to build these capacities of coming into relationship with the unknown, coming into the present, getting grounded and so forth. No, like, like completely. And I think that's going to be like one of the most important skills that we can develop during this time is that facing into the unknown and and like you know a lot of people say like the yin yang is is masculine and feminine but but for me it's like it's chaos and order and 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 that that balance between a, a structure but but then holding this place where we, we don't know what's going to happen 
we don't know how long this will last. We don't know if it's the last <laughs> incident. Um, and, you know, I see this with, with clients all the time. And this is why I really love my job because the capacity to step into chaos and unknown it is to me one of the, the key tools that we need to hold as, as, as millennials, as, as this generation. Um, mm. But things have had become so comfortable and so orderly and so structured. Um, you know, everything's been available. I think this is the first time that collectively we're all stepping into this unknown space and not knowing how to, how to deal with it. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really, there's a real kind of quality to the moment right now, um, which having kind of done this, done this work to drop more into intuition and more into embodiment, um, it's something that I can kind of feel in the air almost. Um, and certainly with the, the communities that we're involved in and some of the kind of thinkers that I really admire, mm. they're treating it as a kind of call to, call to action. Um, not necessarily action as in, um, I must keep on driving forwards with whatever it was I was doing before at all mm. costs. The action might actually be quite paradoxically being able to stop doing that, step back, sit um, in whatever's going on, exploring it, getting grounded in it. Um, and in doing so, I think we become the people that the people around us can rely upon. Um, and we start to conceive of ourselves as kind of nodes in networks. And we start to see that um, the work we're doing ourselves whatever it is. And we can talk about some specific um, practices that you know about, um, whatever it is. It's not just for ourselves to be able to cope with being in relationship to the unknown. It's also um, for everyone around us. To, to be that person that, that, that can hold that space for people and, and, and to be secure. Um, <clears throat> And, and solid in times of crisis. And, and interestingly, that's the thing that has motivated me, that motivates me, and I think that's what's led me to the job, is like I'm happy to admit that I'm not good at self-accountability. Uh, I find it really hard. Um, but when there's other people involved, I don't know that other people are relying on me, and that that were needed to kind of step up in this time, that's a real drive and, and a motivator for me. And obviously that's been so important during this time um, because all our, all our clients are panicking. You know, we've had to sort of pull rank and, and keep a business afloat um, as well as, you know, family members struggling. So I think this is, like, I'm really interested in me and you perhaps exploring the thinkers that we're talking about. Um, particularly as men, uh, be because I feel like for me, the reason that I'm drawn to these people are because they're the first male role models, let's say, that I've seen out in the world who talk about things like responsibility, 
being a good person, grounding, um, and, and actually making a positive contribution to the world in a way that's so grounded, um, you know, like in intellectual knowledge as well as clear capacity. Like I'm attracted to that. Um, and I think it's a shame that these thinkers aren't out there more. Mm. Because like you say, because we've been tapped into these, these, these spaces, it's like, oh, here's that thing that they've been talking about for the last two or three years. Yeah. You know, big, I can see a big smile there as in like you can relate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 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 isn't it? It is. I mean, we had this, well, there's a number of different kind of discourses out there. There's been people talking about um, a meaning crisis for several years now. Um, most popularly, I guess, Jordan Peterson and later on, John Viveki, um, another pre- professor from Toronto. He's doing this whole YouTube series, um, mm. kind of responding to now. And there's lots of people um, in different ways. I guess they're congregating around a meta crisis, um, which is something that is still, we're still making sense of what that is. But um to sense that there is kind of interconnected um, crisis occurring that connects all of the individual things, whether it's um, acidification of the oceans or, uh, you know, waste disposal, carbon emission, mental health, um, criminal justice, whatever it is. Um, And what sits between all of these different um, problems is people. And those people have um, consciousness and the way that they relate to that consciousness determines their capacity to perceive what's going on, to be able to authentically hold the emotions of what, uh, what reality entails yeah. and then to be able to communicate that with other people, all of which in a way sounds like very simple and these are kind of very simple things but there's a complex challenge in actually being able to do them well Um, and so I feel like I don't know exactly what it is that I am best placed to do in response to what's going on but I have a sense of the kind of how of what that looks like Um, kind of me doing kind of cultivating this ongoing process of inquiry with myself and practice and the capacity to communicate with other people and continually be looking for who's like new people coming in with interesting contributions that allow me to refine and sometimes completely transform what I thought was going on. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I was reading yesterday, like crisis reveals character in many ways. Mm. And I think that um, like everybody's character is being highlighted right now. Um, and, and, and that brings up a lot of questions. Like it's certainly been reflective for me. Um, and, and we're sort of seeing like the shadow side of characters in the sense of panic buying. Uh, as as well as, and I think this is another one to hold on to. This like disconnection doesn't matter, doesn't impact me. Um, t- 
type of attitude that I've also seen that's very prevalent. Um, they seem to be what has been like the, the mass, but, but then underneath all of this has been this really profound sort of sense of community and connection and actually people stepping up um, during this time. Um, and, and that's actually felt really hopeful, like, like we needed this because I think we were all feeling very disconnected from one another yeah. and, and, and not a lot of hope in humanity. But for, for me in particular, by seeing what's happened and how people have been stepping up, uh, I feel actually really inspired um, by this circumstance as, you know, as much as you can be by something that's quite tragic. Yeah, it, it's kind of showing me that there's there's people out there that do want to reach out and, and connect and help, uh, and I think there's a lot more than than what the mainstream p- p- portrays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel that um, so much focus is going on the logistical responses to this and the precautions and how to not become carrying coronavirus and how many people have died from it and so forth. Um, but that's such a narrow part of the picture of what's going on for people. And so much of it is going on at the personal and interpersonal level. Um, Mm -hmm. like so many, I mean, I was thinking about how there's so many sort of couples, for example, who maybe didn't have great communication in place and now uh, being thrust into this situation together and we're going to have to, it's going to be quite make or break. And the same with like families, um, you know, a lot of um, relationships have been neglected or, th- you know, th- things that kind of conflicts underlying that haven't been addressed. Now it's like in order for us to kind of confront and meet the threat of of chaos and of our own deaths potentially um, requires us to overcome those things and come together with the people around us and take responsibility in those relationships and yeah, it just, it feels almost more, it does have that feeling of like, it's almost more real. There's like more of a kind of, it's like all of the external force and sense of threat and fear kind of drives us more into um, love for the people around us. Yeah, yes. And, and, and gratitude. Um, and I think this is, uh, you know, we... I think we take for granted and in a lot of sort of think spaces, we think we're very clever um, and we take for granted like the power of our emotions and the power of crisis to, to drive us to action. Uh, and I think this is Daniel Schwachtenberger's, uh, he's done a really, really interesting talk at the, um, the Garden of Eden project. And he talks about emergence through emergency of, of this sort of pressure being applied to humanity where, where there is a very real and salient threat that, that causes something new to emerge, that causes us to, to kind of break through um, and step in t- to what we all know that we need to, to step into. Now, there is another, another way, is, is to consciously align with that and take the action. And I think this is the groups who have been going for 10, 
15 or five years who have been preparing for this, who are in place, who now this has happened are, are literally thriving because they're, you know, they've, they've built these yeah. communities where there's, there's food and, and, and they're all connected. And, and like you said, these groups that we look into have, have just sort of stepped into this space. Like we're fully prepared. Um, but well, then as, the other, as prepared as we can be, perhaps. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, 100%. But if they've been talking about it for so long, it, it was like they were looking for the next thing to happen. Um, I, I wasn't like prepared for this to happen now um, or as prepared as I could have been 100%. But it certainly put a fire under um, things that I've needed to take serious. I don't know if you can resonate with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a certain um, oh, existential quality to it. I get in trouble with my parents because I keep using the word existential. But um, there's an existential quality to the moment. Um, mm. It's it's that quality of life, which is aware of death or something like that. Like the kind of on the edgeness of things um, seems to make it more real. Um, and if we think about the world before this, um, that's what you were saying about mental health earlier and how it's kind of categorized as this thing. And um, many of us, like when we, at least in the past, I certainly know, like when I encountered it, I had this kind of aversion from it. Like, oh, this is that other thing. It's nothing to do with me. Um, but as I came to, as I was going down this kind of inquiring journey, I started to, to conceive of it as like, um, suffering is, is like a fundamental aspect of, of human existence and reality. And it's something that all of our myth and story and religion, all of these things speak to, to this reality of suffering. And so if you kind of were someone who encountered suffering in your life um, in the past several years, very often what you found was a, a society which was very kind of uh, cold and kind of looking to avoid and ignore and this kind of speaks to the degree of loneliness that was mm -hmm. kind of becoming endemic in the west where um people were unable to speak to other people about their suffering or and the response would be you go go see a therapist go get medicated whatever it is um rather than I see your suffering as a real aspect of, of human existence that has to be grappled with. And so I having grappled with it, I'm then going to witness you in it from, from a place of having done it myself. Mm. And, and that acknowledgement of the fact that you've done it yourself it is how we build empathy and how we build can like authentic connection with people. Yeah. And 
this element of loneliness you know like it was Jung who said that loneliness isn't the absence of people it's the absence of being able to communicate truly how you feel to talk about the things that are important to you and I, th I think collectively you know like we've had the zombie apocalypse <laughs> with like we were zombies people were shut off from their emotions they were shut off from each other there was no acknowledgement of of like you say the importance of suffering i mean to me now because i've you know i always have to hold on to what it was like before i knew but because i've so much accepted that that's a part of the life of now mm. and see it in everyone and, and get exposed to it like it seems it seems insane to me that that isn't acknowledged in our society it seems insane to me that we have to have people going on television telling us that nature's good for us or that we've got <laughs> you know you laugh you laugh but like us today there was a news clip that you know the news anchor saying apparently growing your own food is also good for your own mental health so yet yeah, no shit that the thing <laughs> sorry to swear but the the the, the That's thing that like yeah intimately connected to that we have come from that we've evolved in is good for our mental health and have we become that separate that this is what we need now so, so, so that's very salient to me of, of just the level of disconnection that we've reached um and that's why something like this feels important of like a sort of you know as jamie wheel calls it like a loving slap <laughs> <laughs> of, of, of wake up yeah yeah but... uh, no continue yeah, no, sorry, that's, I, I'm, I'm not going to let it sort of go out into the Something, there was a lot in what you just said that I wanted to pass out, but um, what you were describing, I think, is almost a, an awakening, um, not in the kind of, we have this kind of general cultural notion of awakening and enlightenment is like, ah, come up into the heavens and yeah, hey. and everything's the down, the way, and uh, um, yeah. rather than this kind of dirty awakening into the darkness. And that's kind of what I think you're describing. It's certainly something I think I experienced as well in a different way. Um, when you've had that experience in yourself and you've dropped fully into it for yourself, um, there's a vulnerability that comes with that and that kind of completely transforms your relationship to, to reality and to other people. And so you begin to perceive uh, all the stuff that's going on. Um, and for me, especially like I was a very kind of um, not, I did, wouldn't perceive myself to be empathic. A lot of my mates would joke that I was like a robot and like kind of, all the socially autistic and stuff and all of this. Um, so for me coming into that and starting to explore the notion of the feminine and like going through this process of embodiment, it was like, whoa. Um, the way I describe it is like there was a whole bandwidth of reality, which I was not perceiving that I was cut off from. And then when I one, it almost felt like as if one day it just switched and I was so like in the body 
and sensitive to what was going on around me almost like energetically and emotionally and other people. And I realized like, wow, there's so much, um, so much being communicated here and so much that we can kind of pick up on. And it's like our bodies can become um, kind of like speaker cones or like receptors Mm -hmm. and there's like a subtlety to it. And the more we kind of cultivate that um, intuitive capacity, the more subtly we can like experience reality around us and we can pick up on things and um you know your friend may be calling you up and telling you that he's not worried about coronavirus at all and everything's fine but then between those words um and underneath them you are just picking up nakedly on this kind of field of anxiety and then you can be in a position to actually respond to that even though they are not kind of present aware of it or able to communicate it Mm. Mm. no i i I think you're completely true and i think that's the the um i mean it's very much what we focus on uh, in terms of our practice it's all about the body it's all about what are you noticing in this present moment um what's happening in your body right now as you say that um like the most incredible tool that I've ever um, sort of used because it quickly gets us in touch. And we take our bodies for granted. You know, you've got at least half a billion years of evolution at your fingertips. Okay, the most powerful force on earth, if, if we look at our emotional responses, you know, some of them are half a billion years old. To to think that, that we're in some way are completely in control of that and in some way like don't need it you know emotions become this negative thing that you know if you can rise above them or or turn them off you know well done which is is so completely wrong um and i think you made a really important there about saying that you you feel like you access a whole new bandwidth is being empathetic being compassionate and as, as cliche as this sounds like embodying love is really really hard (laughs) it takes a lot of work it takes like you just say the subtlety and the nuance and the integration of our own shadows and unconscious processes and taking care of our body you know it takes a lot of effort and we live in such a disembodied culture Mm. it's 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 easy to shut off and in many ways we have to shut off because to face the pain of the world is freaking painful, <laughs> like really painful and almost traumatizing. I remember when I first started finding out about you know, the destruction on the planet and I went traveling and walked on a beach that was covered in plastic. And it's, it, you, you grieve, you, you grieve it. Um, and that's not easy work to do, I think is the point I'm trying to get to there. Yeah. Um, it's not easy work to do. And I think, again, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I, you know, I read a quote a couple of days ago that said the broken hearted will save the world. And, and that was so salient to me because it's like, yeah, if you have suffered, if you know how painful it is, 
you can save the world because it doesn't scare you <laughs> and you're not shutting it off and you're not blocking like you, you can lean into that pain um, and that's part of why I do what I do because I say to my clients like you're the you're some of the bravest people on this planet because you you know we can't comprehend the pain that they've suffered some of them um, but it also makes them incredibly strong people and brave people mm. and we need that right now yeah, yeah. it's it's the well I guess we all know this to some extent when we look at great leaders um, and figures and sages, they're always people who endured some suffering and went through a kind of trial and journey and overcame things um, and integrated all of that. Mm. What you're saying about the brokenhearted you know, I was thinking before we, like the day before this call, like when I'm looking at what you're doing in terms of the signal you're putting out, it's very like open hearted, I think. And I do have a sense that it is kind of open heartedness that can be the dynamic transformative um agent that allows everything else to occur and so much of our ability to respond to what's going on is at the level of our own bodies our own nervous systems you're always talking about you know regulating your nervous system and polyvagal um and of the people around us and once we come into that state of having fully sat with our emotions and connecting with others from there, the actual process of sense making and kind of considering the open and potentially vast possibility that um, now avails us in this situation to reconceive of our systems, reconceive of what's possible in terms of economics education um even spirituality uh in a way and that's certainly something we can explore because someone you and i have both paid a lot of attention to jordan jordan greenhall now jordan hall yeah. he's kind of said that we have this initial crisis of corona itself dawning and then we have this second wave of the mental health effects of this unprecedented circumstance and he's characterized this as effectively a spiritual uh, crisis so we can talk about what that means but um i'm sensing there's a real kind of congruence now between what we're talking about and the, the discourse of the meta crisis um just trying to pass this out. There's something to do with grief. You talked about grieving for the, the plastic on the beach and the ecological destruction. And this is something I, I talked to on the first podcast with Daniel Simpson about is how much of our response to the ecological breakdown is so just like anxious and like, act and we must act and it's acting 
before grieving almost. And so in this circumstance, it's like in order for us to really meaningfully respond to what's going on at a meta level and at a personal level, we have to sit with it as it actually is. And there's a process of grief there and being in such a emotionally repressed, disembodied, uh, conditioned with all the wrong incentives, um, culture that is an enormous obstacle for us because we can't get to the place to sit with our own feelings and properly process them. And in a way it's our own suffering, which becomes the basis of us connecting with the, the meta circumstance of humanity and, and the earth as a whole. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you make some really good points there. And, um, I guess to kind of pick up on the part that you're saying about the grief is, you know, a a lot of what's driven, driven what I've done has been like my own process, what went wrong through it and, and, and trying to really tap into what our generation are experiencing. And I think, you know, when you sort of wake up in inverted inverted commas but it you know if i identify that waking up to me is just bringing conscious what has been unconscious waking up was identifying all the patterns in my life all the behaviors that have been holding me back and then if we extend that to the outside world it's knowing that that plastic that you're holding in your hand is destroying the planet it's knowing that there's been pain and suffering behind this food that you eat or these clothes that you wear that's waking up um in, in a very sort of functional and grounded sense. But when you wake up to it, to me, what it feels like is, right, so you're hit with all this emotion and this grief. And then there are these tribes or these groups very ready to kind of tap into that grief, tap into that anger and suffering and sort of guide you towards their ideology. <laughs> um, and and I, I feel like we could pick any activist group that's emerged right now and that they're all sort of tapping into some kind of vulnerability in people. And again, this is young. It's the people just projecting their anger and their shadow into the world, creating more division, creating more um, destruction fueled by a mainstream media that want that sensationalism and want that division. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's like an, relationship it's these um mimetic tribes um and each of them i mean the characteristic of all the what you're saying is the shared characteristic i believe is that they they have someone else to blame and the the darkness or the issue is fundamentally other to the self group um whereas what kind of, I guess, was articulated best by, by Jordan Peterson is this, this idea that the darkness is within ourselves um, and we have to conceive of the possibility that not being in right relationship to our own pain um, could lead us down the road to, 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 being, to being a 
as he says, a prison guard at Auschwitz. Um, It's, it's not being like, Oh, those other people are the Nazis. Those other people are the people who carried out the Milai massacre. Those other people. Um, It's, this is um, something within human potential. And if we're not um, sitting with our pain in a way which creates more connection with others and more compassion, um, we can be closing off to it, allowing it to metastasize, projecting it outwards into the world Um, and believing that if we can just kind of excise whatever the thing is out there, that it's going to bring resolution to what's in here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally, totally spot on. Instead of asking the question of, you know, how am I similar to this group that I hate or that that I divided by? And this is why, like, like again, I could go huge with this and more meta, but we ha- we are not given the psychological tools, right? You, you spoke about education earlier, something I'm really passionate about, something that I probably will be involved in in the future, is the way that we're educated. You know, it blows my mind. Why did we not have a single lesson, a single space, particularly when you're young to say, look, this is a brain, this is psychology, these are the most fascinating and mysterious things in the known universe. But here's some talk. Now, I think that's changing. I speak to a lot of people that give me a lot of hope with children. You know, I know in California, they're screening children for trauma. Um, but, but this is the, from a psych, not that I'm analysing everybody that I see, but from like a therapist's point of view, when I see some of these people, particularly the ones who rise to prominence in these groups, first of all, this group is the only thing where they get their meaning from. Mm. So their, their, their whole sense of being and meaning in the world is now projected into an ideology, which makes them vulnerable to it. Their sense of community, their sense of intimacy, their sense of connection is, and is all coming from these groups. Now, the need for community meaning and intimacy is biologically wired into us as human beings. Just as much as we need food and water, we need these things in our life. So what we, what we use to meet those needs is really, really important. (laughs) So, so, and this is why, um, I hope I'm not going off on too many tangents, but I just think it really links to it. Like when Nietzsche talks about God is dead and the death of religion being so dangerous and the death of meaning being so dangerous is because when that's removed, we're left with ideology and division and with no sort of, I know like John Greenhall and that they talk about the religion that's not a religion Mm. (laughs) because without these sort of meta spiritual ideals that we can hold on to we're left vulnerable to, to to having to find our sense of meaning and purpose in dangerous ideology and is that not more clear than than ever yeah so what were those three things you listed it was community 
um, meaning and intimacy. So, so there's no, so we have nine needs actually in total, mm. biologically wired into every human being. So privacy, safety, uh, status. Can you not see that like so clearly in everything that people do? Um, so there's all these needs. I'm going to start talking a lot more about this because when we understand these biological needs, these needs are constantly trying to be met on an unconscious level. When they're not, we'll suffer with our mental health problems, and then and then what will and then that makes us very vulnerable. I mean, you imagine that you're incredibly lonely. There's no meaning. There's no connection, and somebody comes along and says, "Hey, like, join join our tribe." <laughs> Uh, we'll give you a sense of meaning, we'll give you an enemy to fight, and you'll also have a community to fit in. Yeah. To take someone out of that or to leave that is incredibly hard because it might be the first community you've ever found. Am I making, uh, making sense? Yes, absolutely. I'm just, there's so many pieces. Um, I know, I'm saying um, a lot. Like I've, I've mentioned Nietzsche, I've mentioned meaning, we're on oh, to ideology, so do apologise. <laughs> in all of these tangents, we're kind of mapping out the, the wider terrain of the conversation, so that's good. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, kind of, as well as potentially having these attractors, religious groups, cults, political ideological movements, even the kind of like nihilistic, jokey um, stuff that was coming up around the Trump election, um, all of these different things. We also can have, if we don't have those things meeting it, we can try and meet it in other ways, which are potentially addictive. Um, and so we can find ways to cut ourselves off um, and to meet those needs with things which, um, I think the characteristic of, of things which are addictive, which, I mean, I learned a lot of this from Gabor Mate, who I'm sure you've heard. He's kind of like my, my sage or teacher on this, but, um, things which purport to feed us, um, but are actually generally making us weaker, um, and more dependent upon them. And, we have been in a cultural context up until two weeks ago in which so many aspects of, of our lives have been dominated by um, the market and capital and, and capital's interest is not the same as, as human well-being interest. And so, I mean, we're trying to respond to a global crisis and we're using tools which have been captured by the market in which all of, I mean, this is great. What well, Skype, difficult to, to get wrong, but Facebook, Twitter, these are indispensable tools right now. And all the people that you and I follow, the people who are most actively engaging with the difficulty right now, they're having to use tools which have been captured by the market, which are set up to divert our attention from what's important, to addict us. Instagram, obviously you're on there, I'm on there. That is, that's a dangerous one. Um, in, in <laughs> oh, what, no, no, no. Take your no, fancy, no. whatever it is. If you're looking at cute dogs or if you're looking at girls, that's what you're going to get sent and you're going to be bombarded with whatever it is the algorithm believes will 
make you continue going back and continue looking. And it's not feeding you. It's not, it's not upregulating your capacity to perceive reality, to connect with other people, to feel that what you're doing is more meaningful. It's quick, it's easy, it's in my pocket, it's there. Within a few seconds, I can be on Instagram, scrolling, whatever mm -hmm. it is, even on Twitter for so many of, I mean, this is a whole other aspect of what's going on, but so many of our academics and intellectuals and journalists themselves not involved in this kind of conversation we're having. Many of them are very disembodied and many of them are getting their meaning from being on Twitter and, and that yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah. No, to totally. Like we've, um, and, and like I've seen, even in this, you know, I, I don't actually use Twitter. Um, I, I did. But in the academic community, the abuse and the arguments that you that you see on social media, and you think you like you're meant to be, um, you, like you meant the word isn't superior, but you're meant to be balanced and integrated. If if you step, in my opinion, if you're stepping into those roles, and you know this is going even deeper in the kind of the loss of honour that we've had around being an academic, being a doctor being a, a person who wields an element of power because it, it you know it is you, you you become powerful in those positions um we've we've lost that sort of sacredness <laughs> i think is the word mm. um that th that was so prominent in ancient cultures um but even even more recently, I think the last 100 years to 200 years, we've probably had, uh, like we've lost a lot of our values, like you say. Um, I kind of want to wrap that up and, and come back to the point that you were talking about, the market capturing. And mm. there's something that, that's really sort of, we live in a society that profits from traumatized people, okay, is, is, is my opinion. We profit from addiction. We profit from suffering <laughs> and people look shocked when we say that but if we just look at the sugar-based food that is so prominent if you are suffering emotionally you will be drawn to sugar because sugar sugar gives you an artificial dose of serotonin so our unconscious mind knows that this is why this is why comfort eating it, it, it is a comfort mm. because it gives us artificial doses of the chemicals that make us feel human um and once you're in, you're addicted because it's an addictive substance. Social media, what need is that meeting? Community, status. Um, you know, there's a reason they call it likes. There's a reason they call it followers. They're hacking sort of very ancient biology in the brain. Yeah, yeah. So if you're balanced and integrated, which who is these days, but if you are, you can navigate this this maze of challenge but god help you if you become slightly vulnerable god help you if you haven't got a support network yeah it, it's hell and 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 that's that's just a fact and that you know i work with people and i've experienced it myself if you're vulnerable in this society 
you're pretty fucked, man. <laughs> um, so, so that's something that I'm really passionate sort of about, about obviously talking more about and removing the guilt because the self-help industry is very much like it's your responsibility. You need to sort it out. Whilst I agree 100%, I love the sort of element of personal responsibility. We can't deny that like the world that we're in is incredibly challenging to navigate um, for, for many people. And wow. it's always this, oh, it's your fault, it's your fault. Well, no, it isn't. Let's take a look at the systems in place and how. It's, sorry that I've, there's so much coming out, but suicide is the number one killer more than war, more than natural disaster. Something is flawed <laughs> in our world for that to be the thing. I'll stop there. Yeah. Yeah, as you're kind of talking about all these vulnerable people, I can almost feel like the gravity of it. Um, everybody knows somebody who is suffering or themselves is. And then you kind of multiply that to unfathomable, um, an unfathomable weight. And this is kind of, I mean, I keep circling back to, to Jordan Peterson, um, not because I'm super interested in his political side, more his kind of mythopoetic um, side. Yeah, something- he really embodies this, tension like you can see it in him when he's on stage like he holds the reality i mean you you share a profession right he's a psycho psychotherapist um and so he is people in this profession are at the front line they're at the coalface of of what the culture is producing and so he's holding this weight of darkness and suffering which for most people seems inconceivable to, to hold. And when you're holding that, the only way that you can situate it is within something, um, is by really having a grasp on the core like vein of meaning um, in your life and grasping out for the beauty and the good and... Um, experiencing the richness and everything as much as you possibly can in relationship to this because this is uh this is here and i think corona is just um in a way it's it's revealing something which is already there to an extent there's unique characteristics to it i mean um i'd really like to um maybe when we finished up exploring the more meta level, just get some practical information for people and about the realities of, of dealing with the anxiety of it day to day. But, um, I mean, I meditate, I've meditated for years. I pay attention to this. So much of what I'm focused on is practice and cultivation and responding to what's going on. But I still had a freak out, like, a few nights ago, you know, a number of different circumstances of being poorly slept and all these other things. And for whatever reason, I started to believe I had coronavirus at like 1am and then was like, you know, mind racing and thinking about it. And then like, 
being pissed off at myself because I was like, had this idea that I'm like fucking, you know, so prepared to respond to it. And I still was thrown out of sovereignty by, by processing this. So, and I've had a number of friends um, who've dropped into states of hypochondria uh, because of this. And I'm sure a lot of people are. So um, it's a clear and present challenge. Yeah, it's really interesting insight for you, isn't it? To think, we can think that we're prepared, um, but, but there's 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 always a vulnerability there, isn't there? Um, so I, I can imagine that was quite profound for you to to experience. Yeah, and it really brings it back to the importance of. I mean, having that. I have a suite of kind of practices and psychotechnologies and things that I know work for me, which I fall back on. And so um, the next day after that, I was meditating and getting out and climbing up a mountain and getting into nature and doing all this stuff and having meaningful conversations because I know how to respond and because I've got relationships with family around me where you know there's love and we've built it up so that what it's about really is is creating it around you so that when you fall down which you will those people are there for you and likewise when they fall down you're in a position to help them and not be like i can't deal with this that creates a kind of a web of security in a container which maybe religion and community and like these kind of old world containers used to support and those things don't exist we're in an atomized postmodern, commercial dominated society and if you're in the city in particular you live in a little box surrounded by other people in their boxes and you don't talk to anyone and so this is the state of affairs that we're living in. And mm. I, I mean, that's why I'm so stoked to be talking to you really is just because I know at an embodied level <laughs> that this embodiment work and all of this like connection work is so fundamental to how we respond right now. Yeah. 100. Yeah. 100%. It, it's the medicine right now um and like you were saying about you having those relationships and that support and going for the walk um this is it, it's so easy to one take for granted um and and to ignore the subtleties of what true well-being is and the combination of connection and spending time in nature and meditating all these things combined make makes us resilient and makes us stronger um <clears throat> and i guess that's the the is the privilege of my job is i get to see the people who don't have these systems in place often through no fault of their own so i get to see the you know the self at its at it's very bare so i know on a very deep level just how important these things are um for our well-being and for our sense of safety and like you say security um 
and I know I made the joke earlier about people studying nature and, you know, I was not needing that, but people really need to realise, like, the profound healing space that nature is. Um, and I could give you all the neuroscience behind why, but to me it's a feeling of, of kind of going out there and just connecting with something bigger because that's our, our God at the moment. <laughs> um, that's our beyond um so so yeah i'm definitely excited to share some practical tools for people and that, that can strengthen us uh, but i think this has probably brought up for people what we already have and and then what we don't have um, and the importance of maybe what what we hadn't been putting our attention i know for me like i've been thinking about friendships and relationships uh, i'm seen as a very busy person um, which sort of stops people from reaching out as much. So it's really made me reflect on the, the relationships that I want to nurture. Mm. Um, feels really important. Yeah, you can talk about nature and study it and measure things, uh, but then there's the actual experience. Um, and... I've been treating being in nature as practice. Um, anyone who's worked with plant medicine, AKA psychedelics um, is going to have an even more direct understanding of, of why this is the case. But um, yeah, we, we come into relationship with complexity and mystery and the unknown when we're in the natural environment and we're seeing life and death and the entire cycle and we're embedded within it and we have a relatedness to it. And there's, there's so many different aspects to, to this practice. One of them for me is just like going somewhere a little bit more wild. I know you, you go like hiking up in the peak districts and stuff. Um, I'd love to go there. I've only been to the Lake District, but I loved it. Um, go somewhere where there isn't a path and yeah. find the yeah. path for yourself. And this has a way of kind of cultivating that embodied sense-making ability. And it, you're in a liminal circumstance. The path doesn't exist, but your mind is kind of coming into the environment and perceiving it and creating it. Um, mm -hmm. And when we keep doing that, we create it for other people as well. But we've been thrown into liminality collectively and thrown mm -hmm. into the unknown and thrown into unpredictability. And so there's so much profound wisdom and people like uh, Ali, Alexander Biner from Rebel Wisdom, he's written these great pieces on lost ways of knowing and he's yeah. so like on point about like narrative and story and all of this stuff. But I've not seen those. Are they on his LinkedIn? Uh, medium. Yeah. Medium. Yeah. That okay. kind of intuitive practice of coming into relationship with the unknown and finding it and working it out. And there's so many, I mean, emotional release is so much more, um, easy and natural it seems when you get up and you climb a hill and you sit there and you have the perspective this is what I did um, this morning to prepare for this call uh, it's that opening and 
so much of our urban environment is so temporally grounded in things that were built in the last 50 years and everything is made with straight lines and edges and there's such an absence of architecture with meaning and vision and beauty in it uh, in the modern urban environment and it's you know you could probably see this more um, distinctively if you go to the Soviet Union or something like that but even in London today And it's that word, the beauty. Mm. And I know when I first started kind of, you know, waking up, this, I was really drawn to churches. And I'm not a religious person in in essence. I see the church, <laughs> and it's because back then this kind of symbolic representation of the divine of, of more than just the material and it, it, it's so you know this is happening sort of spiritual spiritual space of this connection to something more something and we numb ourselves in this society we disconnect from that Firstly, physiologically, with the food that we take in, like that is numbing. Then you've got the media, then you've got the technology, then you've got, you know, the culture. So is it any wonder, and this is why like the mental health crisis is a spiritual crisis to me, and is it any wonder so many of us are struggling without this profound connection to, to something more and one another? Um, it, it really has an impact. And I think that's why, so for me to, to sort of move into why I'm really passionate, because there's a lot of positive that I want to share um, and a lot of like sort of mapping where I want to head in the future is the reason I'm so passionate is because I feel as if I've got myself out of a very dark place. Um, as, as well as somebody very close to me off medication that they're on for 30 years. So I feel very confident in, in the things that I understand and, and the message that I'm passionate to share, and you'll see this a lot more on Instagram now, is there are tools. There are tools out there more than just meditating. There's ways of thinking, there's ways of being, there's ways of interacting that, that not only will impact us on a neurochemical level, change the way that we perceive the world but will also impact us on a psychological level that will bring meaning that will bring i'm not saying i've got that answer right now but the people that we listen to the people who are working hard that gives me hope that gives me meaning it makes me feel safe and secure because we're plugged into this kind of sense making vein where we know that there's people out there that are working but for people who perhaps aren't interested in sitting for three hours listening to Daniel Schmachtenberger, because he's a complex person and it's deep mm. and you have to be a certain level of strange like me and you to, to want to do that. 
So what I'm passionate about is how do we take these people's wisdom, this wisdom that has profoundly impacted my life for sure, and, and make it palatable for as many people as possible. So that one, we, we get into groups of our own mental health and then we're thriving and then we're, we're, we're serving in a way that the world needs right now. Big, big thing to want to do, I know. Yeah, wow. I, just that little transition from getting it together within yourself and then with the people around you and being in a position to serve as you said, um, and that desire to serve does seem to be uh, in that relationship to something greater than yourself, um, whatever that is ultimately. But, but I think we've run the experiment pretty effectively of living all of us in our atomized little postmodern I selves um, and it's not, it's not, um, it's been tried and tested and it's not going to allow us to lead healthy, meaningful existences. It's not going to um, create a sustainable future on the planet. Mm -hmm. <sighs> It's, just, it's so strange as we're talking. It's like there's a huge, vast enormity to the challenge, just describing the world as we've seen it before, we, before all of this has begun <laughs> yeah. and the weight of the suffering and even the weight of the individual personal challenge. But then when we come to this like new orientation and we're building it into our lives and there's a sense of a a T loss or a direction and a, a growing cultivation. And we start to see the results. We see we're able to bring more attention to people around us. We're able to bring more empathy, compassion. We're able to make sense of things and then communicate that to the people around us when they are not necessarily plugged into useful sense-making. Um, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And then it becomes almost so simple because we know what it is that we need to do in a way. And we know that it's working and we can feel on an embodied level that we're moving in, in the right direction. And we kind of enter this landscape of meaningfulness and that's, you know, that's fucking great. So, um, yeah, it's fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's the embodiment. And I think that's, um, that's the biggest challenge and it's the thing that I'm really passionate about. Um, I know you can t tell. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I don't think we said it, but th there's this, you know, for me is th they, they always talk about, you know, without us going off into it, but people talk about game B, what would the world look like without rivalrous dynamics? What would it look like if we were working together? So for me, I think the approach I'm taking is, okay, so what is player B? What kind of humans do we mm. need to be? <laughs> I, think, I think we just coined something. I've never heard that before. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I, it, it came to me at Jamie Wheel's lecture. Um, 
who is player B? What do we need to be like? What do we need modelled? What are the... And at first, that question was like consuming me and I was taking in too much knowledge. I was overwhelming myself. Um, that's why I'm kind of welcoming this break to pause and slow down. I'm actually trying to sit with it a lot more and actually trying to be it as much as I possibly can. <laughs> Testing things out. You know, Socrates had this idea. Never... Don't adopt an idea, be it, embody it, become it, try it, experiment in the world, ways of being, ways of interacting, and then use the world as feedback. How does that work for you? What are your relationships like? How do you feel in you? Um, and, and that's such a beautiful idea for me because I think we can intellectualize so much yeah. that, we, that, we, that we forget this simplicity of actually just, just be the idea the world is your experiment the people you interact with are and 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 for me certainly not there but the more you know i can certainly say that this journey that i've been on and these thinkers and books and ideas have transformed like who i am have, have led me to the work that i'm doing and you know, I'm, I'm happy to say, like, I, like I feel, like my life feels meaningful even now. I'm by no means where I want to be. I still have my challenges, and I share those. Um, but there are gifts in in these ways of thinking and being. And I, I think we're only just beginning to discover what we're capable of. As oh humans. yeah, oh yeah. Are <laughs> we? It's like you realize, you know the journey that you go on from not having any of these tools at your disposal to getting them when you, you know, when I first started meditating and I was realizing like, Oh, this is really enhancing my choice making. And like, I'm craving sugar in the supermarket, but then I notice and I don't buy the thing to feed that and I get something else or, um, you know, uh, I'm talking to someone and my impulse is to zone out and stop listening, but I'm able to sustain that attention and give them my attention. Mm -hmm. You know, you start doing some, so, I mean, embodiment is so much of what we've talked about. What, I mean, what, what in your view can we do to get into our bodies? For me, it's been yoga practice and getting out up there. Meditation is also in a way an embodied practice. Um, yeah so yes all of those of course those practices are um so important um any kind of movement any kind of connection with nature i with you as well yoga um yoga got me through some of the hardest times in my life and so did nature um so those are the two i'd say for people I who, who, yeah like yeah they're, they're lifesavers man they, they really are um I guess for me, what I'm really leaning into at the moment is, is authentic connection, like connecting with people, crying if you need to cry, like just acceptance of the fact that we have these emotions for a reason. Um, but, but for me, what I'd say to people is, is to connect as much as possible. The retreat we went on really helped me with that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that sort of, why I love these communities and these groups, and somebody captured it, I went to, it wasn't a Rebel Wisdom event, but um, I don't know if you know Experimental Thought Co. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah, so Hannah, who runs it, she's lovely. And one of the people there said, the reason I love these events is it's like everyone's realised that life's too short and they just connect. Like there's no awkwardness. There's no like, oh, you know, should we be this way? It's like, hello, we've met each other. We like each other. Like here's who I am. And I think everybody turns up authentically. And um, you... You know, this is a question I really began to ask myself is who are people meeting when I meet them? Is it, am I presenting and pretending to be this kind of person and this mask, which will never be authentic for either of us? Oh. Or, or are they meeting me? And it's scary to be you to start with. It's scary to post videos on YouTube and Instagram and, and, and to go up to someone and say like, yeah, like this is who I am. But when you do it, you become so goddamn strong because you're not hiding anything and you've accepted who you are. Um, and it's always a journey for me, but that's the tool that I want to leave people with is it's a big one, but meet yourself and meet yourself through people, find the people you can be vulnerable to and, and, and be it because it, it's medicine. <laughs> yeah. And be amazed at how people may respond to it as well i remember uh you know when i was ha first having experiences of just being vulnerable in the outside world and not having you know this control of of myself and my emotions and how i present um it didn't make any sense to me like oh i'm actually sad and upset and i'm carrying around this upset with me through the day and people are connecting with me more uh, than they were when I was like completely in control and on the level all the time. Yeah. And the beauty of that, Jacob, what I'll say, because I can imagine it's a powerful experience. And the thing that I want to hold for people is there was a period of my life where I wasn't being me at all. And all of my personality becomes suppressed. So I was depressed, but there was, I weren't showing the emotion but I also wasn't showing the best parts of me and getting in touch with the sadness also means getting in touch with the beauty and mm. the niceness and the kindness and the quirky parts of your personality that make you, you. And when we stop holding those things back, life does become more beautiful. Yeah. We may need to cry. We may need to weep. We may need to acknowledge that we're angry we also may need to acknowledge that we're incredible human beings and we've got something to offer the world. And, and this is that golden shadow of shine, like shine. We need people to shine. <laughs> um, and that's much of a message to me because I've suppressed so many parts of myself in the past, but I really want to hold that, that it's not just the negative, you know, the uncomfortable emotions. It's also the, the wonderful ones that, that make life so precious. Yeah, mate, that was really poetic. <laughs> uh, Thanks. I'm hesitant to, to try and riff on top of that. But um, yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, the periods of time when I've dropped into suffering uh, the most, whether it's my own or somebody else's, um, are the periods where I've been able to, you know, with that vulnerability in yourself comes, as John Viveki said, vulnerability in the world. And, 
you experience everything more richly um, and vividly. And there's this irreducible kind of essence to, to life that, you know, it's always kind of temporal and fleeting, but there's a kind of beauty of it being crystallized in this moment. Mm. Oh, wow. I'm feeling very much uh, hopeful and glowed up in my embodiment as a result of all of everything you've said just landing. Yeah. No, it's, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you, man. And I'm, I'm glad. And it, I feel hopeful. I do feel hopeful. And it's things like this, um, particularly like younger, like us, younger generation-ish, <laughs> um, <laughs> talking about these things um, feels really important. So, yeah. Um, That's a great place to to wrap it up episode two i'm very happy um yeah i'll figure out how to to end the recording but thank you charlie and i'm sure you know at some point in the future we're going to be sitting down again and picking up where we left off yeah i feel like we've covered plenty there Um, there's lots of strengths but yeah (laughs) i hadn't intended but it's been a pleasure uh, and always happy to come back for another chat right Thank you. See you later, Jacob. See you.